Please turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 87. Psalm 87, we are continuing through this second collection of the Psalms of the Sons of Korah. This is God's holy word. Please give your careful attention to its reading. A Psalm of the Sons of Korah, a song. His foundation is in the holy mountains. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the other dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God. Selah. I shall mention Rahab and Babylon among those who know me. Behold, Philistia and Tyre with Ethiopia. This one was born there. But of Zion it shall be said, this one and that one were born in her, and the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord will count when he registers the peoples. This one was born there. Selah. Then those who sing as well as those who play the flutes shall say, all my springs of joy are in you. Thus far the reading of God's word. There are many cities in the world, and there are many beautiful cities in the world. And people might debate about which is the most beautiful city to go visit. Perhaps each of you has a place in the world that is a dream vacation destination. If I could go anywhere in the world... I would love to go and visit Venice, or I would love to go and visit Paris. In our text this evening, we find that there is a beautiful and glorious city, Zion, Jerusalem, and that this, in our New Testament context, does not now refer to uh, the Jerusalem on earth that you could go visit in Israel, but we understand in light of the New Testament, as Paul applies it, that he says there is a Jerusalem above that is our mother. And as we'll see in our text, that Zion is here presented as a mother city. But it's this city which is the most glorious of all cities. This city is the most beautiful of all cities. This city is the one city that you want to go to, above all others, as a dream destination. Even more than just a dream destination, as an earnest hope and desire that you will one day be there. And in Christ, that you can already have this hope that it already is where your citizenship now lies. That you are a native-born of that heavenly city. This is a city that the church will not just go to vacation at, but this is indeed the city that is our homeland, our mother city, the place where we will dwell with our Savior forever. And it's this city that is glorious. And this evening I want to address two, two aspects of the city that are so glorious. That the Jerusalem above is a glorious city, and this is seen in, in two ways in our psalm. It's seen in that she is the bridal city, 
And it's seen in that she is the mother city. She is the bridal city and the mother city. Now, as we think about these ideas, we have to begin to think in certain categories that aren't, aren't perhaps too common to us nowadays. Nowadays, we don't typically personify cities. And if we do, we, we may not personify them as uh, brides or as mothers or as daughters. And yet in our text, we have a, a city, Zion, that is portrayed as a mother. And so we will uh, look at these two ideas that there's this bridal city and also mother city. So first in verses 1 through 3, consider this glorious bridal city. His foundation is in the holy mountains. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the other dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things are spoken in view, O city of God. Now admittedly, the language of a bride does not appear explicitly in these first three verses. But as we read the scriptures and as we become familiar with them, we find that this idea of a city potentially being a bride is is a biblical motif. And we see that especially clearly in Revelation at the end where this bridal city, this bride adorned for her husband, the heavenly Jerusalem comes down to earth. And there's something of that idea that uh, connects with our text in Psalm 87, and that here is one glorious thing that is said of Zion. The Lord loves her. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the other dwelling places of Jacob. That the Lord has a husband-like love for the bridal city. If you want to seek to uh, extol something, if you want to seek to, to praise something, one, one common thing that people will do is uh, appeal to those who approve of that thing or those who give their endorsement to that thing. So if you pick up any modern book, you, will, you can turn it over and look at the back cover, and you'll see three or four blurbs, three or four endorsements, usually from famous people, usually from people who are well-respected in, in that field, and they give a glowing endorsement of the book that you hold in your hands. What greater endorsement could there be of a city than this? That the Lord loves her. That he loves her more than all the other dwelling places of Jacob. That he loves the whole land of Israel, that he loves wherever his people are, but more than that, preeminently among that, he loves the place where his saints gather together to worship him, where his temple resides. This love is, we understand, different than the, the kind of love or endorsement that we would see on the back of a book cover. It's different than the world's love. The world loves because it sees something that is already beautiful, and it is passively Uh, persuaded and and overcome with that beauty. But when we read that the Lord loves the gates of Zion, we understand that his is a beautifying love. 
that it comes to a city that is not of itself, does not of itself have anything to commend itself, but that loving it, he makes it beautiful, that loving it, he makes it glorious. And so consider how glorious it is that the Lord loves his church, that the Lord loves Zion, that the Lord loves you, and what that means for this beloved, glorious city. Because the Lord loves her, uh, the Lamb has died for her. He has risen again for her, and he reigns within her. This city is the location out, which, out from which his light shines upon the nations and by which the nations walk. Because the Lamb and the bridal city have been wedded together in the most profound sense of the word to wed, the light of the Lamb is called her light, the city's light, and it does not shine except in that it shines out through that city, the church. That out of this heavenly Zion, we are told in Revelation, this bridal city, there is a light that radiates out from her, the light of the Lamb, but it's called her light, the city's light, because the Lamb and the city have been wedded together. And so if Christ loves this city, if he loves this city so much that he would bear the curses of her rebellion and her wickedness, to see her ruined walls rebuilt, if it is his bride whom he has loved with his own life, if it's this city and not another that God intends to use to demonstrate his multifaceted wisdom to angelic powers, if God has committed himself to destroying anyone who would destroy this temple city, and if God intends for the nations to walk by the light of the Lamb that radiates from this city, if God has renamed this city, my delight is in her, what does that mean for the church in this age? If she has, if she has a Lamb that loves her, a husband that loves her, more than any other dwelling place, holds her in greater esteem than any other city, holds the communion of saints as more beloved to him than any other community. And if he is zealous for her, if he will defend her, if he will avenge her, if he will preserve her until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch, what does that mean for the church in the present age when she is surrounded by conflict? It means that indeed the Lamb will preserve and sustain his church. He will preserve and sustain and even avenge his church. And these are promises for you, that you will not be overcome by the world, even when it looks so grim. So that's one glorious aspect of this city. One of the glories of Zion is the one who loves her, her Lord, her Savior, Jesus Christ. 
Now, secondly, consider that this uh, city is also here described as a mother city. Verses 4 through 6. I shall mention Rahab and Babylon among those who know me. Behold, Philistia and Tyre with Ethiopia. This one was born there. Of Zion it shall be said, This one and that one were born in her, and the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord will count when he registers the peoples. This one was born there. So in three consecutive verses, you have stated three times over this, the statement that these various nations, these various cities and people groups were born in Zion, that they have Zion as their mother, and that Zion is their metropolis. We often talk about the metro area, by which we mean not just Columbus proper, but all of the other urban areas around Columbus, but metro is short for metropolitan or metropolis. If we take that word more literally, it it means mother city that the inhabitants of the city are regarded as the children of that city, and the city is regarded as their mother. And here, astonishingly, we find that this mother city is mother to the nations. That This mother city is mother not just to the natural-born inhabitants of Zion, the offspring of Abraham, but she is mother to Rahab, Egypt, Babylon, Philistia, Tyre, Cush, Ethiopia. That she becomes the mother of the nations. That the church becomes a mother to the various people groups over all the earth. And this is something that should give us pause. Does that seem implausible to you, that the church would be a mother to various nations? That whole nations would come and be accounted among the church? Perhaps we might say, it's a, it's a beautiful thing to think about, but have you watched the news recently? Have you looked at how over all the earth there is so much wickedness? Have you looked at how in our own country and in our own state there is rebellion against God? Does it seem implausible that whole cities and nations would count Zion as their mother? That whole cities and nations would count the church as their homeland? Is this just a triumphalistic idea, perhaps an overstatement, perhaps hyperbole. Consider the context of Psalm 87 in which this statement about Zion being a mother is made. It's made in Psalm 87, but Psalm 87 is part of book three in the Psalter. Psalms 80, uh, excuse me, Psalms 73 through 89, book three of the Psalter. And one of, the, one of the characteristics, one of the themes that emerges through these psalms is the devastation that Israel in, uh, Israel in general, and Zion in particular, has experienced at the hands of the nations. 
And so if it seems implausible to you today to look on the nations and say, it could never be the case that the church would be their mother. Consider how much more implausible Psalm 87 would have seemed in its original context, among its original readers, in in the context of Book 3 of the Psalter. Some excerpts from Book 3, Psalm 74. The enemy has destroyed everything in the sanctuary. They were like those who swing axes in a forest of trees. In all its carved wood, they broke down with hatchets and hammers. They set your sanctuary on fire. They profaned the dwelling place of your name, bringing it to the ground. That Babylon was born in Zion? O God, the nations have come into your inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple. They have laid Jerusalem in ruins. We have become a taunt to our neighbors, mocked and derided by those around us. Pour out your anger on the nations that do not know you and on the kingdoms that do not call upon your name. For they have devoured Jacob and laid waste his habitation. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Return sevenfold into the lap of our neighbors the taunts with which they have taunted you, O Lord. Those nations were born or are to be born in Zion. Psalm 80, you make us an object of contention for our neighbors, and our enemies laugh among themselves. Inscribing Israel as a vine taken out of Egypt. Why then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? A wild boar from the forest ravages it. Those nations. Psalm 81. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe toward him, and their fate would last forever. Those nations. Psalm 83. Your enemies make an uproar. Those who hate you have raised their heads. They lay crafty plans against your people. They consult together against your treasured ones. They say, come, let us wipe them out as a nation. Let the name of Israel be remembered no more. For they conspire with one accord. Against you they make a covenant. The tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites, Moab and the Hagrites, Gabal and Ammon and Amalek, Philistia with the inhabitants of Tyre. Assyria also has joined them. They are the strong arm of the children of Lot. And not just before leading up to Psalm 87, but also subsequently Psalm 89 ends with the crown of David in the dust, the throne of David thrown down, and the nations mocking. All who pass by plunder him. He has become the scorn of his neighbors. Remember, O Lord, how your servants are mocked and how I bear in my heart the insults of all the many nations with which your enemies mock, O Lord, with which they mock the footsteps of your anointed. Book three of the Psalter has as a very prominent theme the suffering of Israel at the hands of the nations. And it is, uh, for the most part, in, in the minor key, lamentation, crying out to God for mercy, for deliverance, for vengeance. But in that context, you have Psalm 87, Egypt, Babylon, Philistia, Ethiopia, 
Tyre, these nations, these cities and nations are going to come and be regarded as children of Zion. Does that seem implausible in light of the historical context, in light of the psalms that surround it? Does that seem like it's a likely thing? Psalm 87 doesn't come after a a string of of triumphalistic psalms. You can think of the first collection of the psalms of the sons of Korah, where from 45 through 48 in the Psalter, it's it's very upbeat. You have the, the messianic king who appears to slay all of his enemies, who marries the royal bride, there is that city uh, who's, that has streams that, are ma- that make glad the city of God. The Lord ascends with a shout in Psalm 47. And continuing in, in Psalm 48, there is uh, the nations who come to attack Zion, but then they turn back when they see the, the ramparts that surround the city and defend it. But that's not, that's not the, the context of Psalm 87. The context is Devastation from the nations. And yet those very same nations will be called children of Zion. When the Lord registers the people, he will say that this one was born there. That she will become a mother city to those hostile and enemy nations which persecuted her. To Rahab, to the Egypt upon which God sent ten devastating plagues? Yes, that Egypt. The Babylon that carried her off into exile? Yes, that Babylon. The Assyria that carried the northern kingdom away? Yes, that Assyria. The Tyre of which we read will will experience severe judgments because of her commerce? Uh, Yes, that Tyre. That God will make Zion their mother. That God will make the church a mother to these cities and nations. So consider what this then means for the church now at present. First of all, a psalm like this should give us the category for thinking big prayers and big petitions about the success of the gospel. In our psalm, we do not simply read that a few Philistines here, a few Babylonians there, will name Zion as their mother, or that God will count a few Babylonians and Egyptians as having been born in Zion. But it's, it's the whole place name that's used. The scriptures speak in this way. This isn't in any way to uh, minimize the need for individual faith or that there will be uh, an individual reckoning. But consider that the scriptures also speak of whole cities responding to the gospel or not. So consider Jesus' words concerning unrepentant cities, that it would be more tolerable for Sodom than for that city in the day of judgment, that, that there's a turning away of an entire city from the message of the kingdom. But the flip side of that is that there are also occasions where whole cities will respond and believe the gospel message. 
Consider Samaria in Acts 8, where the crowds with one accord listen to Philip's preaching. And the apostles, when they hear that Samaria had received the work, not just a few Samaritans, but that Samaria, the city, receives the gospel. Do you think it's possible that there could be a Christian Columbus or a Christian Ohio? What nations do you think about that you would say it would never be prefixed with the word Christian? A Christian North Korea? A Christian India? A Christian China? A Christian United States? If Egypt and Babylon might name Zion as their mother, might that not also be the case that even those nations that are presently hostile to and in rebellion against God's church, is it not possible for a work of grace, a work of the Spirit, that that might yet change, and that these nations too would be reckoned among the inhabitants of Zion. Secondly, our second point of application, considering uh, that Zion is the mother city, that the church is a mother to the Gentiles, this ought to make us a people who are outward facing, who are desirous to see these nations brought in. In verse 7, we read, Then those who sing, as well as those who play the flutes, shall say, All my springs are in you. We need to understand something about the, the theological geography of Jerusalem. That as Jerusalem is portrayed within the scriptures, there is a river, there is a fountain that gives life to those who come and drink from it. You see this in the other Zion Psalms. In, in Psalm 46, there is a river that makes glad the city of God. You see the, the fountains and springs coming up here in this Zion Psalm, Psalm 87. You see it in the end of Ezekiel as he is describing that, that vision of this, this temple to which the Lord's glory has returned. And there's a stream that starts out just as a trickle, but it streams out from, from the temple. And in the path of that river, it gives life to the trees that grow on its sides. And it turns the Dead Sea into this, this uh, living environment, a life-giving river. And we see this river again at the end of Revelation. In John's vision, that there's the, the river that comes and flows through the middle of the city. This river that comes from the land. This river is the salvation that comes from Christ, that there was from his side opened up a flowing stream. Jesus invites anyone who is thirsty to come and drink from this river. And he says this in reference to the Holy Spirit who will bring eternal life and apply it to those who so drink from Christ. But it's the church who delights in these springs and who calls the nations to come drink from these springs. That if Zion is to be a mother city, the church 
is not only to drink herself from these springs, but she is to call and summon the nations as well, that they too should come drink and find their joy in these springs. Consider the end of Revelation, the text that we come to frequently, but must always continue coming to again and again as it shapes our our view of of human history. Revelation 22, verse 17. The Spirit and the Bride, that's the church, that's Zion. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty, Come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. The water of life that flows from Christ, his sacrifice at Calvary, where was opened the flow of blood and water, where was opened for us redemption and reconciliation with God, is that stream to which we summon the thirsty, even the thirsty nations. Come. And so glorious things are spoken of Zion. Glorious things are spoken of the church. She is loved by Christ. Christ will defend her, preserve her, avenge her. But he will also make her a mother. He will make her a mother to the nations. And so let us contemplate Zion's glories. Let us drink deeply from her springs. And let us with that bridal city say to the nations, come, drink from the waters of life without cost. Amen. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for this sure hope that we have, that we will enjoy eternal life in the presence of Christ in the congregation of uh, an assembly that no man can number, taken from all the tribes and tongues of the earth. We ask that you would hasten that day, and we ask that we would be faithful in the place where you have put us as we seek to hasten that day, uh, the day of the Lord's coming. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.